Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. We've been reading this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6 verses 3 through 10. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving Word. And we must pay diligent attention to it. So we'll hear the Word of the Lord this morning. Paul writing to Timothy, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." And this is the word of the Lord. I understand there are some passages of Scripture that are hard to understand. We talked about this in our Wednesday evening Bible study we had uh, on Genesis 3. We're talking about Genesis 3, and I mentioned a couple other chapters. I said, no doubt, these are some of the hardest Scriptures to, to comprehend. This is not one of those. This is about as plain as he could be. There's no symbolism here. Paul is talking meat and potatoes straight to Timothy. Uh, There's no hidden meaning meaning here. Anybody can understand this. And it is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning your Word is enlightening our path. It is guiding our way. It shows us truth. It reveals the ultimate reality and truth that is Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it this morning. Bless these next few moments and let these words penetrate our hearts and change and transform the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I will this morning begin by, pre- by prefacing the preaching of God's Word with two state- statements. Number one, it is not evil to make money, to be good at what you do, to be productive, to have a successful business, to own a successful business, to have a good career. We all have to work. Work is not a curse. We talked about that Wednesday night. Work is not a curse of the fall of sin. If you read scripture, Adam and Eve were tasked with tending the garden, with caring for it, for working before the fall. Man was called to work say man, it's mankind. Men and women were called to keep our hands busy, to do something. How many people when they retire, even though, though they don't need the money, they go and find something 
to put their time to. Often it's a part-time job, just something to get me out of the house, something to give me a purpose. So I'm not saying we all quit our jobs tomorrow, give away all of our money in our bank account. That would not be pleasing to God. In fact, Paul has things to say about that elsewhere. He says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. The conversation around the second coming of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians, the context about that he's teaching about the return of Christ surrounds people who have quit their jobs and said, the Lord's coming back, none of this matters. And Paul says, no, get back to work. Get busy, live your life. So I'm not saying that money is an evil thing. It's the love of money. And number two, I have not mastered this. And if preachers are honest, and I think preachers should at least be honest, uh, few of us have mastered anything that we stand in the pulpit and preach. We preach and talk about things that are bigger than we ourselves. We are declaring God's word, preachers are, both to you and to us. The preacher is always preaching back to himself. <clears throat> this is not this morning about money as much as it is about treasuring Christ above your money. That's the, the, that's the whole sermon. There's money and we treasure Christ more than we treasure our stuff. This sermon this morning is about an attitude toward money and an attitude toward things and stuff because a person's motives and priorities and purposes can be found by examining their calendar and their checkbook. Say whatever you want about your priorities in life. Let me see somebody's calendar and let me see their checkbook. How they spend their time, how they spend their money, I'll tell you where their priorities are. The words are irrelevant. What satisfies us? Where do we find our contentment? Paul said to be content with the basic needs of living. Just the, the very basic things. He goes, that's where your level of contentment should be. And we fight this so hard. And one of the reasons we fight this so hard is that we live in an area that is more prosperous than much of the United States. And therefore, the temptation to keep up with people is there. I can remember before I lived here looking online at realtor.com, sites like this, and seeing houses that, in hindsight, aren't anything special in this area. But I looked at those and was like, wow, if I could ever live in something like that, I mean, that's just, that's amazing. And now I look at it and it's like, that's the houses I think I was looking at were probably at the bottom of what this area represents. And so that temptation comes. It's, it's never enough. It's like, I live in this now, but I, I could have that. Construction is all around us. They're constantly expanding. We see it businesses. There's new businesses going up. The last 10 years that I've been here, the number of businesses that have just everywhere, subdivisions. I mean, we are in a suburb that in the early 1980s, this was a, a suburb of about 3,000 people. And since that time, the, the growth has just been exponential. By the early 2030s, the DFW area will overtake Chicagoland and become the third largest metropolitan, metropolitan area in the United States. It will be New York Metro, Los Angeles Metro, DFW. It will surpass Chicago. And it's not like that all over the world. I know we often, if we take a trip or go somewhere else, we see other places, we're like, 
oh, all of America is not like DFW. Um, it's, it's not like this everywhere in the United States. And <clears throat> I've had the unique experiences of working in ministry for years in an economically depressed area, and my experience tells me that a bad economy does not make people any more spiritual. So it's not like that's the answer. Let's go into a deep recession or depression so we can have revival. It's like, no, that brings its own inherent set of problems. But a strong economy in an area that values money as a symbol of success does present its unique challenges because we must fight against that. The people of God cannot buy into that mentality. I was on my way here to move. I was... <clears throat> at a Cracker Barrel <clears throat> with a guy named Terry Shock, who's a preacher. He looked across the table at me, he said, Dallas has a spirit of materialism. I didn't know what he meant. I mean, I knew what he meant by a spirit of materialism. I just wasn't sure he was right. Um, I knew he had never lived here. Um, and I'd say today, Terry, you were right. There is a and by a spirit, uh, I'm, I'm using that loosely by an attitude, um, a mindset of materialism. We need the Word of God to keep us faithful to our calling and faithful to the one who has called us. Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You get your contentment through stuff if you buy into the spirit of the age, or you get your contentment in Christ alone. Only Christ. He is the bread of life. If you buy into Him, you'll never thirst. You'll never be hungry again because He is the all-satisfying joy. He is the treasure. He is what makes us content. Christ and Christ alone. Paul is simply echoing what the Old Testament says. Ecclesiastes 5, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. I think the biblical goal that we should have with money, and I say biblical because this is, so it's not coming from me, it's not my opinion, but the Bible's idea of money and the goal that we should have is found in Proverbs 30. So the writer of Proverbs says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor give me riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What he's teaching here is balance. He's saying there is a fine line, there is a balance to be found between poverty and riches, between excess and want. And here's, here's the struggle with that. We could all be guilty of legalism in this area. How do you, def how do you define that balance? I've... I've preached and talked about these concepts before and, and the example I've said is um, I could be wearing clothes that didn't cost as much as these cost although there's not a lot of money here because I only 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 buy stuff on sale uh, when it's like really cheap but 
still. I could have easily went to a thrift store and found a sport coat, and nothing wrong with that. I could have easily wore older, I mean, just like, I could be a legalist about this. We all could and say, well, we could all downsize maybe our homes. We could all downgrade our, our clothes or um, take a lesser vacation. Let's say this is where biblical wisdom comes into play. This is where, and I, I, I normally don't get this practical, but one thing I've said about clothes is if you buy your clothes for value and quality because I want them to last a long time and you're not buying it because you care about the label on the inside, I think that's God honoring. It's like, I don't buy that because it's the cheapest because I've bought, I've bought cheap suits in the past. It's like, they don't last. So it's not value because it's going to be gone in a year or two. I know I can spend more money and wear something for 10, 12, 15 years until the width of the lapels just scream that they're out of style and you got to do something different. Um, uh, but it's, it's about balance. It's about doing something that's God-honoring. It's about attitude. Ultimately, it's a heart issue. It's not, not so much a checkbook issue. It is a heart issue. Jesus said, Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. You have to choose. And that's a, it's a struggle. It's like, don't lay up treasures in heaven. It's like, you know, retirement. I, I just, I told somebody this week, I had a conversation, and I said, I have zero interest, none. It's not 1%, it's, it's flatline zero interest in ever wearing any nicer clothes, driving any nicer car, or living in an, any nicer of a house. It's like, none. I said, I want, if I make, ever make more money, it's two things. One, I want to be able to give more would love to be able to give to people more. I donated something a while back and I thought I wish I could give three times what I, I just gave. It's like, give more. And two is to put into retirement. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, like I've got a goal, I've got all these calculators set and I'm not quite where I want to be. So I'm wanting to, I want that. But then I, I got to think about the words of Jesus. He's like, be careful laying up these treasures because Moth and rust do corrupt. I know that everything that I sock away may be worth nothing 25 years from now. There's no guarantees. Are you going to do it? Yes, I'm going to do it. I think it's prudent. I think it's wise. I don't want to be wondering where my food comes from when I'm 75 or 80. I hope I make it to 75 or 80, but if I do, I, I don't want to have to worry about that. So I think, it's, I think Jesus also teaches those things about being prepared. But I also don't want that to be where my treasure is. Like, that's not where my hope is. That's not where my treasure is. My treasure is in Christ. And this goes against the teachings of the prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel at all. It's found in not all, but some charismatic circles. It's blatant. 
Now, the blatant ones are easy to identify. These are the people that are screaming through your uh, television set, telling you to send them money. You know, it's, I woke up this morning and turned on my TV set, and there in living color was something I will never forget. A man was preaching at me. He was laying on the charm. He was asking me for 20 with 10,000 on his arm. It's Ray Stevens with Jesus Wear Rolex on his television show. Now, people laugh at that, but that's the reality. He's like, Ray Stevens was not even exaggerating. It's like exactly how it was. People are, are wearing $10,000 watches asking little old ladies to send them their social security checks. So you can sow the seed into the kingdom. That is not the gospel. Those are, that's charlatans. Those are wolves in sheep's clothing, fleecing, hardworking people out of their money in the name of God and the gospel so they can build multi-million dollar houses and own private jets. I would not want to stand in their shoes at Judgment Day. We have a really bad conception in Christianity about what it means to break the commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain. We usually think it's like one thing, using it as a swear word. I think that qualifies but that's not at all what the sentiment of that commandment is. People who use God's name to better their own pocketbooks, to further their own agendas, that is using the Lord's name in vain. That is coming to people saying, I come to you in the name of the Lord. I am representing God when you have, you're not standing in God's stead in any way or fashion. That is taking the name of the Lord in vain. You know, it's that God wants you rich, or your money is a sign of God's divine favor upon your life, or that it's God's will that everyone is healed and no one ever suffers, and if you're not healed, it's a lack of faith. Like, that all goes along with that prosperity gospel and idea. Pastor, I know, received a phone call from a woman she said, I need you to come. I need you to come now and talk to my husband. The pastor went there. He went upstairs into the bedroom. The man was sitting on his bed. He said later, I don't remember how much it was. I think it was somewhere around $300,000 in cash that had just been thrown, scattered around the room. Money was laying everywhere. He was having a breakdown. And he said, Pastor, he said, I have enough money to buy the finest meal money can buy, and I can't eat. He said, I could buy any car I wanted to buy. I'm too scared to drive. He said, I could buy the finest mattress. And he goes, I can't sleep. I think it was either Warren Buffett or Steve Schwarzman. I can't remember. I think it was, it was Steve Schwarzman, I believe. Um, who is a multi-billionaire, but I think he has one of the healthiest attitudes towards money, um, much like Warren Buffett. Um, I think it was Schwarzman who said, there comes a point when you start making money, and he said, I passed it a long time ago. He said, I had never had any, he said, I never had any ambition to be wealthy. He goes, I was just at the right place at the right time, and he says, and I don't think you should have an ambition to be wealthy. He said, because what I found out is, he said, a long time ago, he said, I surpassed the idea that you reach a point where you can only buy so good of a mattress and 
wears so good of clothes. He goes, at some point, it's just a number. And most people in the United States, they're honest, that's where they're at. So I know there's some pushback today. It's like, yeah, but God, you know, God wants you. That This is God's sign of his, his favor on your life. And what Paul says to that is if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining, this is imagining, Paul's like, it's a bad imagination that godliness is a means of gain. And so Paul counters this false doctrine by saying, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. If we have food and clothing, with these be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it is through this craving. What craving? The craving for money. The craving for more stuff. Paul says that craving has caused people to wander away from the faith and has pierced them with many pains. We all enter this life with the same balance. Zero. We don't own anything. The next time I'm on an airplane, there's going to be people on the plane probably make less than I do. There'll be people on the plane that make more money than I do. But if that plane face plants into the East Texas pine trees and we all enter into eternity, everybody on that plane in one moment, everything gets reset. We're back to zero. We start with zero, we end with zero. And, and here's the struggle, is that I'm too rich right now with material goods and money and stuff. I am one of the wealthiest people who has ever lived in the history of this world. Like We all are. We live lives with the access that we have, with the conveniences that we have. We live lives that are far above emperors and kings throughout history. We are in the top percentage of wealthy people in the world right now. Most of the world has, much of the world does not live like this. So I preach to myself and all of us what the writer of Hebrews said, keep your life free from love of money. You see how this is a theme not just in Paul, but I can go back to the writer of Ecclesiastics, I can go to the writer of, Saul, of, um, of Proverbs, and oh, I can go to the writer of Hebrews. We don't even know who that is. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. I think it was about 200 years after Christ. It was already being said, only God knows who the writer of Hebrews is. So whoever it is said, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are not too many other subjects in the Bible that have as much biblical witness as the subject of money and our attitude toward it. We talk about some things in Scripture where the Scripture only mentions it once or twice. The subject of money, like Jesus talks about money a lot. Why? It's because it's part. When I say money, I'm just talking about stuff, material goods, our possessions, whether that's represented by uh, material things 
or cash in the bank. It's just what we are worth. And the Bible speaks a lot about it. If you have a place to live, that the roof doesn't leak, you got some heat in there, you've got indoor plumbing, you've got a car that gets you from point A to B that passes inspections, you've got a few sets of clothes and you know where your next few meals are coming from, you're doing just fine. Don't let the accumulation of stuff be the main focus of your life. This sermon wouldn't resonate as much in other parts of the country because people wouldn't have the ability to do that. But we are in an area where that's going to be the challenge. And it's going to be the challenge where if you don't live that way intentionally, people are going to question what's wrong with you. Like, why aren't you chasing that, that next elusive goal? No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. You'll either hate the one or you'll love the other. So the, the key word here, when Jesus says you cannot serve God and money, the key word here is serve because serving is related to worship. The question is, at what altar do you worship? So Paul writes, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God. Those are strong words. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in, the, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. When you start comparing when you start comparing this piece of paper that only has value because somebody says it has value, when you start comparing this to the one, listen to the description, the only sovereign, like this to the only sovereign, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, like as he continues to describe him, it just, the gulf just keeps getting bigger and bigger, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light. No one has ever seen. To him be honor and glory and dominion forever. When you start talking about a God like that, this starts looking very, very pointless. Necessary, but pointless. Instead of the lust for money, pursue righteousness and goodness and faith. And this has echoes of the Ten Commandments. We are not under the law. We don't live under the Old Testament law. Christ was the end of the law or He was the fulfillment of the law. So we don't live under that. We are under the law of Christ. We don't commit murder because Moses said not to. We don't commit murder because the law of Christ is written on our hearts. So that moral law of God is eternal. It's forever. It goes from an external 
list of do's and don'ts to an internal, now the law is written on our hearts. That our faith is lived out through the gospel and is possible because of this gospel and anything other than that is legalism. So we fight the good fight of faith. If you are able to obey 1 Timothy 6, it is because you are fighting the good fight of faith. If you fight the lust for things with faith, then coveting things more than God could be considered a way that you show your unbelief. Let me, let me say that again. If you covet things more than you... And Paul sometimes uses these, this language like lust and covet. He'll sometimes use those ideas opposite of how we use them. And he'll turn a negative into a positive and say, you need to think this way about God. Like you need to chase God. You need to go after God. And if you covet things more than you covet God, that could be a way of the indication of your unbelief. Now we see the Messiah, God's Son, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, lifted up to His proper place as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as the only one who has immortality. He gives us immortality because Romans says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness. If the spirit of Him, so if the Spirit of Him, Him being God, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the Holy Spirit. So he's like, it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. It was that Spirit. That same Spirit dwells inside of us. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit gives us immortality. It takes us from being mortal to being immortal. And now temporal things like this pale in comparison because we now are no longer mortal creatures. We are immortal because of the Spirit of God that dwells. If you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you have immortality. You are going to live for all eternity forever. And all of that makes this look very shallow. The psalmist said God robes himself with light like a garment. Paul echoes these words when he said God dwells in an unapproachable light. So what do you want to pursue and at what altar do you want to worship? Is, it's like, is your iPhone supercomputer, is it good enough? Something that's more powerful than the computers that drove spaceships and businesses 40 years ago, it's like, you got this in your pocket, is that good enough? Do you, we always have to have the latest and greatest everything only to keep up with our neighbor because somebody else has it. Do we drive up and down the highways and see the houses and the new cars? And I, I get the temptation, I've been there. I've been driving a perfectly fine car and somebody drives past me, I'm like, I'd like to have that. You know, it's... Man, I'd sure love to have that $95,000 SUV. Um, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't like to have it. I would like to have that. Like something in me goes, that'd be really fun to drive because it would, well, what would it do? <laughs> I don't know. It would just, you know, because after two months, it's another car. That is one thing. No matter what you get, like it is another car. It is another Shirt. It's just another, after a while, the newness wears off. This is 
this is the appeal to, to get you to buy more and more and more. We walk through the malls or see the latest fashions and something inside of you says, oh, what I have is not good enough. It's like, what constitutes good? It's like, I told my wife yesterday, I said, I've decided this is my favorite shirt I own. So comfortable. I bought it at Tractor Supply. It's like the only shirt, I've, the only piece of clothing I've ever bought at Tractor Supply. It's like, I could wear this every day. It's so, it's so comfortable. It's like, it, is it the most expensive? Is it the most fashionable? No, but like what constitutes, what are you trying to accomplish with what you have is my point. Is it to satisfy a need or is it to impress somebody? Because if that's who you are, and it's who we all are, I mean, that's our nature. If it wasn't, I'd, the sermon would be pointless. I'm only preaching this because we're all this way. Myself included, if we let ourselves be this way, if that's who we are, I invite all of us to lift up our eyes to the one who is on the throne, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I invite you to see the one who gave you eternal life. And long after the cars are in a junkyard, your stuff's in a landfill, long after the outfit you're buried in fuses with your rotting flesh, you will still be enjoying the fellowship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The real you will be in all of eternity. Long after the houses we build are occupied by new families with new dreams, our sovereign Savior, full of light and infinite holiness, will be showering us with His glory that will bring us infinite happiness. And just when we think Paul is finished with the subject of money, and has moved on to describe the Messiah, we, we find Jesus, we find that seeing Jesus and all of His holiness and majesty is the key to fighting our lust for money. That's the key. The key to overcoming all sin is to find a more satisfying pleasure than what's in the temptation. That's the key. I don't care what the temptation is, if you try to defeat your temptation by willpower, you will fail. Because you don't... One... Willpower does not have a good track record, and two, the powers of darkness are influential there as well. And without the Spirit of Christ, you are no match for the devil. He is a million times more powerful than you are. So the key to fighting our lust for stuff is to find Jesus as a more superior treasure. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. So Paul acknowledges there's, there's rich people in the church. That's fine. Don't let them be haughty. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Like Paul tells people in the church who are rich, you don't have an option to share your money. Like, get ready to open up your pocketbook. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, I would not argue, would not assert that Paul is calling for everyone to give their stuff away. The Bible is often, I think, falsely charged with promoting some sort of neo-socialism. I think that's what's going on here. But God might call you to give it all away. He might do that for an individual. He may say, you know what you need to do with your stuff? You need to give away all your stuff. He did it in Scripture, and He might require that for us. 
But I would just say that would be a particular calling and not a blanket requirement. So in closing, I'd say Paul charges us to do four things. He tells the rich, don't be haughty. Your money does not make you better than anyone else. I moved here 10 years ago. My neighbor had a shirt and a hat with the name of a particular Dallas country club. And I thought, I need a place to play golf. Don't know any courses around here. And I said, hey, is that a good course to play at? He goes, no. Remember, Tony Romo was the quarterback at that time. Cowboys, he goes, it is. He said, Tony Romo is on the waiting list. He said, the, not the annual due, just like the entry fee was something like $100,000, and then the annual dues were just, and he started listing off the number of people. He said, um, it's an all-male course. So I think they've let two women play there. Madonna and Condoleezza Rice were guests. He goes, well, as a rule, only men get to play there. There is no website. You have to be uber rich, and well, if Tony Romo is on the waiting list, good luck getting in. I said, yeah, I'll maybe look for someplace else to play. Um, my my follow-up question was, I know no neighbor of mine is playing golf in that course. I said, what is, what's your deal? He said, well, he was actually going to school to work in golf professionally, not to be a professional golfer, but to be in the business, and part of his schooling was to caddy there. He said, so I have to caddy there. He goes, I'll never play there. He goes, but I have caddied there, and he told me some interesting stories about some well-known people that I'll leave alone. The church is the place where the high school dropout and the doctor can worship and fellowship together. And I've seen this so many times displayed beautifully in the kingdom, where people who in the secular world would never rub elbows are fellowshipping together. The foot of the cross is a level playing field. And no one is better than the person next to them because of the status in this life. When people really get a heart for the kingdom, their, their money doesn't matter. Church I most recently came out of, pastor walked in on a Monday morning, heard a noise in the bathroom. He said, I normally wasn't there really early in the morning during, on Mondays. So I went into the restroom to see what the noise was. And there was a light and he said, a doctor in our church was in there and he had gloves on. He's cleaning the bathroom. He said, doctor, what are you doing? Said, I'm cleaning the restroom. He goes, why? He said, I've done this for years, every Monday morning. He's like, I did not know that. So all of a sudden there was a noise and here came out of the stall, came a little boy. There was a doctor's son. He said, before that he had asked the doctor, he said, why? He goes, why are you doing this? He said, because I value this place. The little boy came out of the stall. He said, what, what's he doing? He said, I'm teaching him how to value this place. A doctor does not have to clean the church restrooms. But he did because that's what the kingdom looks like. We are all sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. The foot of the cross is a level playing field. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by 401ks. We're saved by Christ. Number two, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Plan on retirement, yes, but know that nothing is certain. Our hope is not in the future of a plan that assumes 8% annual growth. That is not our hope. Number three, Set 
your hope on God because he richly provides us exactly what we need and nothing more. Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Number four, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous to share. When we share, we are, share, we are storing up treasures for ourselves as a foundation for the future. This is all polar opposite of what the world teaches. The world says, don't be generous, save it all for me, under my name, for the future. And Paul in his radical, countercultural, and yet transcultural statement says, no, share it out so you can build your future in the kingdom. Why? It's because the maker's math always works different than the Charles Schwab retirement calculator. God will provide. He will make a way where there is no way. So what do you worship? What are your life's goals? Is it just to get stuff, to make a name for yourself, to, to climb a ladder, or is it to make the name of Christ look glorious in your life? We are on the brink, the very edge of eternity. It is a short walk from the cradle to the grave. And so we don't worship at the altar of stuff and things. We don't worship at the altar of the almighty dollar because this will fail. This someday will fail. Nothing in this life is certain except Christ and His purpose. The almighty God will be victorious for all of eternity and that is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world um, that values things more than they value you. We live in an increasingly secular culture that has either marginalized you and your kingdom or has forgotten about you altogether or a generation that's raised by people who forgot about you is a generation that never knew you. We realize that is our harvest field. We realize that we are called to live in countercultural ways so that people would ask what the reason of our hope is when we don't walk to the beat of the culture's drum. We don't walk in lockstep with our neighbors and the people around us. So, Lord, this morning we ask you that you grant us strength to walk this way for this journey, but not just to be different, but to be Christ-honoring, to honor the way that your word called us to live, Lord, so that in the future we would, um, yes, make good choices and good decisions, but uh, more than that, that our choices and decisions would uh, scream to a lost and dying world that Christ is my treasure, and I find my joy, my satisfaction, my pleasure in you and you alone and in nothing else. Lord, I ask you this morning in dismissal that you would keep your hand upon us this week. <clears throat> you would help us to live in God-honoring ways within the context of our own worlds that we live in. We all live in different circles every day. We meet different people. Uh, we all lead very different lives, but we have one thing in common, and that is that we cherish you and love you, and we worship you in our lives. 
Lord, watch over us this week. Help us to be lights and witnesses. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you this morning.